Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And today we are continuing some throwback reviews, although we are moving into Halloween-themed movies, starting with none other than the original Halloween from 1978. And we also have an interview with Julia Ritchie from the Heartland Film Festival. That's going to kick off here in just a few days. So excited to chat with her, too, about things happening at the Heartland Film Festival in Indiana. But first, Katie, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. It is finally getting cool in Ohio, mm-hmm. which, you know, again, it makes me happy and sad at the same time. Yes. Um, but I am I'm loving fall like fashion. I'm looking <laughs> forward to so many things. I can't believe the year is almost over. And even if COVID is not under control, I feel better knowing that this year will end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But like, we I just will keep get thinking to the end of it. three more months. If yes. we get through three more months, it'll be a new year and we can pretend to start again. We're also in the time period right now that happens for about two weeks every fall in the Midwest where you don't have to have your air on and you don't have to have your heat on. You're just kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like 55 outside. So you're you're living, dwelling stays at a comfortable temperature. So that is kind of nice, too. It's like the save on your energy bill week of fall. I broke down a couple days. 25 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I broke down a couple days. I literally, I think, I think two days I've turned on the heat. Okay. And then it got too hot and I turned the air back on. And then it's there's a, been a couple days where it's just been sitting with nothing on. It's so a, it's a hard balance for sure during fall to know what you want to do. So yes, <laughs> yes, I'm doing well too. Um, nothing new happening here. Uh, just cruising along kind of. It's crazy that it's already October. Um, that is a little wild. So you know, yes, that's, I do that's feel crazy. rude sometimes when I don't ask, but you know how people will run by in the neighborhood, you'll be walking be like, what's up? How are you? And yeah. no one really cares what you say. No. So I never want to sound disingenuous. So a lot of times I'll just leave it. And there not- you go. <laughs> but it's not because I don't care. It's because I don't want to sound fake understandable so yeah that is always yes. an awkward thing in the neighborhood when like somebody's walking by how are you today good yeah oh, i'm good too hey, it's like, hey how it. are you mm-hmm. yeah especially yeah. if they're running you have like two seconds you're like what am i going to say to you before you zoom past yeah. me and are like you know already and, down the block <laughs> and you and i have always we always talk before we record yes. the episode so yep. i also feel like i know how you are and what's up with you and then you know and then we record so anyway. Uh, we'll move into our recommendations. We don't really have any news. Nothing has happened. You know, COVID's been going on, so there's not really right. any new movie Nothing news. good is happening. No, and we don't have any corrections because we did an awesome job on the Devil All the Time episode. So we'll yep. just move into our recommendations. Your recommend, one of them, is the newest season of Dancing with the Stars on ABC. Yes, I love this show. I think I've missed, I think I did miss last season of all the seasons, but okay. I am obsessed with this show. I am a huge Caitlin Bristow fan. She was a bachelorette, um, but she's also a former dancer. So I knew she would probably be good, but I like a lot of the cast this year, like almost every celebrity I really enjoy. Um, and some of them like Nev, Neve, Nev Shulman, I believe. Neve, yeah. Who's Catfish. on Catfish. Yeah. Like I would have never known him before. I know him from that show, but he is delightful. There are so many people on the show. I like except Carol Baskin. <laughs> I was furious to see her on the show. Yeah. Spoiler alert, because if you haven't watched Disney week, which just happened this week, she did get voted off. Goodbye. Yes. Um, But yeah, Carol was the only person I was genuinely pretty unhappy that they picked her and also that she's getting any attention because I am of the camp that she killed her husband. Um, So (laughs) hot take. (laughs) Yep. How do you like um, they have obviously new hosts this year. Um, So how do you like that? How do you like Tyra hosting? I love Tyra. Tom Bergeron is really funny, but I I like Tyra. I also I do like seeing a black female. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that how many shows do we have with hosts of that? Either either women or women of color. Yeah. So I'm all for it. And she's, I think she's done a great okay. job so far. She certainly has a better wardrobe than Tom Bergeron. got. <laughs> that makes sense. They dressed, I mean, Tom Bergeron is like in his sixties or seventies and they dress him like an old yeah. man. So, you know, yeah. he is funny though. Don't get me wrong, but also yes. like, I feel like she, this was a good, to me, it was a good change. Yeah. And he had been hosting that for quite a while. So I can totally yeah. understand why they wanted like switch it up for sure. He'd been right. hosting that for 15 years. So, you know, let somebody new jump in there for sure. So, um, and then you also had one more recommend, which is a thing that Stephen Colbert is doing right now about voting. Yes. Okay. So I wanted to recommend this only also because it's a slow, slow news week. But um, 
Well, first I want to tell you I did not complete Harry Potter. I'm just going to oh, put it out there. It's so September sad. 30th. I had to put it out there. I'm still on the fifth book. I've had a lot happening in life, all positive, but very busy. Anyway, <laughs> so let's let's get past it. I didn't make the goal. Anyway, so Stephen Colbert, I am a huge fan. And he now his his nightly show is called A Late Show since they're not in the studio. Well, now they're back in the studio, but they're calling mm-hmm. it A Late Show. Um, so he has been doing this segment. It's for every state, all 50 states. He's doing something called Noah Ballot like no a ballot mm-hmm. and um, he's doing all 50 states and it's like two or three minute segments, but he tells you about voting like, Hey, register early to vote. This is where you can turn in your early voter registration. This is where you can check if you're registered, but it's fantastic. And especially because no one wants to sit through, I don't think an hour and a half hearing every single state, but he even says in the caption or whatever, it'll say what state. So Ohio just came out and I watched it just for fun. I had already checked that I was registered to vote, but if you're curious about any of that stuff, checking if you're registered takes literally 30 seconds. Also, um, it tells you things like Like I'm, I was fine trusting the mail with the ballot. I am not concerned at all with the postal service. However, if you're worried, like I am about overwhelming them since they do have so much to do, you can physically go turn in your ballot. If you seal it in the envelope and take it, there's certain places that you can actually turn it in. Um, So if you want to do that, the main thing I've learned is to vote early. So if you are going to do a mail-in ballot or you're going to physically walk it somewhere, please do it early because that will help with this um, alleged fraud that is not going to happen. And also, uh, if you're concerned about your state, I know Jared has the date for, I think it's October 6th for Indiana. For um, Ohio, you have to be registered. You have to request your mail-in ballot. Is that what it was? You have to be registered to vote by uh, the end of the day, October 5th. And it's the same for October Indiana 5th as well. In, now you in do Ohio have a little too, yeah. for in Indiana, you do have a little bit longer to request your absentee ballot. Um, I see. You have a few more weeks to do that. Um, you have to do that by October twenty um, second. But the deadline to register to vote is October sixth or fifth, which when this episode comes out, it will have been yesterday. But you do still have time to request your absentee ballot. And then, like you said, you can also vote early in a lot of locations as well if you don't want to go to the polls on Election Day because they'll be busy. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, there's a greater risk of probably having, uh, you know, problems with coronavirus on the day of the actual election, where if you go vote yeah. early, there will probably be less crowds and it'll be a little bit more easy to, to get to the polls and get in and cast your vote. So, yeah. And to reiterate, um, not not at all in a political way, uh, just to reiterate, there is no fraud with the mail system. Um, and there's nothing to back that up or anything. So please do not avoid voting. If you're worried about the postal service, that is not a problem. Please don't let that be the reason you don't exercise your right to vote. Mm-hmm. For sure. So um, I don't really have many recommendations for this week. You mentioned Catfish and I thought, yes, I haven't watched that recently, but that is a show that earlier in the COVID quarantine I was watching. Um, it's oh. very fascinating. Um, basically how, if you don't know the, the Catfish, it's basically people who are on the internet. Somebody starts talking to them, but then it turns out that they're either not who they say they were or they're a different person or they're a person that, you know, the person who's talking to them knows or it's like a guy pretending to be a girl or vice versa or Mm -hmm. something like that. So Neve um, and Max, who are on the show, go to like these people's houses and they talk with them and then they go meet the the catfish person you know, person face to face and they kind of have a little interaction there, but it's definitely drama filled. So if you like, like drama filled Mm -hmm. reality television, then definitely check that out. (laughs) And also another recommend is a new season of the great British baking show started on Netflix. I've heard this season is not as good as previous seasons because they had to do some Mm. weird things due to COVID, like keep everybody in a bubble. And I guess they switched one of the hosts out um, and a couple different things. So I've heard it's not been as well received as some of the past seasons. But if you want a show that is very much like it's just people baking and the earlier seasons, I've watched a few of the earlier seasons with Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. Um, those ones are really good, I think, the first couple of seasons. I know they've changed some things recently, but if you want a show to just kind of pop on and watch people bake really cool stuff, then check out The the Great British Baking Show So hmm. on Netflix. So those are our recommends for this week. And we had a chance to chat with Julia Ritchie from the Heartland Film Festival. That is kicking off on October 8th. She's the senior programmer for the festival, and we're going to share with you that conversation right now here on the Silver Screen Podcast. 
And we are here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking with Julia Ritchie, the senior programmer for the Heartland Film Festival, which is October 8th through October 18th this year. You can find more info at heartlandfilm.org. Julia, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. So my first question for you is, as the senior programmer for the Heartland Film Festival, kind of what are you responsible for and what is your in-job entail for preparing for the festival? Yeah, so senior programmer, I work with uh, our artistic director, Greg Sorbeg, to curate our lineups for um, the Indie Shorts International Film Festival and the Heartland International Film Festival. So um, my main order of business um, is organizing our volunteer screener committees who help us um, watch all the submissions that we get because um, just the two of us can't watch um, a couple thousand films <laughs> by right. ourselves. So, so yeah, so I help manage those committees and then, um, you know, watch films and we sometimes well, pre-COVID, we would travel to other film festivals as well um, to scout other films out and uh, other festivals. And um, yeah, so we kind of, we form uh, what audiences see um, in our festivals. That's awesome. It sounds like a big job too. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, but um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, good. Thank you. And then as far as selecting the movies, what criteria do you use when you're selecting a movie to screen at the film festival? Yeah, so Heartland Film's mission is to inspire filmmakers and audiences through the transformative power of film. So in addition to looking for, you know, good technical quality, um, you know, technically sound films that will, you know, really affect you that way, we're also looking for films that do more than just entertain, that they have some sort of impact when you leave the theater, whether that's Mm -hmm. to inspire, to educate, um, you know, think about something differently, um, and that can be, you know, it, it can be an uplifting film, but it could also be a film that really, really could be heavy and could stick with you um, in one way or another. And I wow. know, too, uh, with the Heartland Film Festival, you try to, you know, have some local filmmakers in there as well. And obviously mm-hmm. some things that could be nominated for awards down the road, Oscars and things like that. So mm-hmm. kind of what is the goal of the festival and how do you decide, you know, how to get films from all these different categories to kind of make up a nice, a nice lineup of movies? Yeah, I mean, our goal, like, we show independent films, so we're, you know, our goal is to showcase these films that you might not get to see anywhere else, and great films as well. There's so much more out there than what Hollywood's doing, so, um, and all these, you know, great films get a chance to, um, like, with our short films, we're qualified um, in uh, three categories, all three short film categories for the Oscars, so um, our grand prize winners for uh, live action, documentary, animated short um, are automatically considered uh, to be, um, uh, yeah, considered for Oscars, um, provided wow. they meet the other qualifications. So that's a really, really great exposure and really great for short filmmakers because they, you know, short films, you know, usually don't get theatrical releases unless it's like a mm-hmm. Pixar film. So with those, you know, that gives these other films a shot. At, you know, this this is a great exposure um, with the Oscars as well, and then. Um, we're also, you know, here to, you know, help, uh, help filmmakers as well. Um, and they're, they're getting their films seen, but we're also, you know, helping them uh, throughout their festival runs. And then we, we keep in touch and we also help promote their films, like, because they'll go on to either get, you know, uh, video, like, really, like, on-demand releases or other festival runs or theatrical releases as well. And we always help promote uh, that way as well. And um, we keep up with our uh, alumni base. That's so neat. I have always thought um, I'm one of the people who wants to go to the film festival every year and can't. But I think that ones at small film festivals or smaller like Heartland and Telluride and stuff like that often are better than a lot of the movies in wide release. Mm -hmm. And then we heard this year that the festival is doing a mixture of drive-in screenings and then also virtual screenings. Um, So can you tell me a little bit more about that process? Yeah, so we did that same format with Indie Shorts um, this year because at the beginning of the year when this whole pandemic started, we weren't sure what was going to happen and how we would be able to host a film festival safely. So uh, we pivoted and we hosted Indie Shorts um, both uh, virtually um, online and uh, at the Tibbs Drive-In Theater in Indianapolis, and that went really Mm -hmm. well. The community really rallied behind it and showed their support, and so we're really excited um, for this year, too. So, yeah, so we're doing, um, yeah, October 8th through 18th will be virtual screenings, and you don't have to live in Indianapolis to, to experience the online festival. You can yes. live anywhere in the U.S. or around the world. Most, uh, almost all the films are available within the United States, 
um, are, are, are capped within the United States, but there will be some available to a worldwide audience as well. And that's indicated um, on the website. But so we have, um, you can experience virtually and then we'll also be at the drive-in. Uh, every night of the festival will be at the Tibbs drive-in, um, kind of the bookends of the festival. So October 8th through the 11th will be at the Tibbs. Uh -huh. And then October 12th through the 14th will be at uh, Connor Prairie in Fishers, which wow. is our new pop-up drive-in location. Um, and then we will be, and then the re remainder of the festival, the 15th through the 18th, will be at the Tibbs Drive-In again. Awesome. Very nice. Again, we're chatting with Julia Ritchie, the senior programmer for the Heartland Film Festival. And Julia, when did you first become interested in movies? When did they kind of capture your attention? And then when did you kind of decide, maybe I would like to pursue a career that involves movies and, and films and things like that? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I've been loving movies ever since I was a little kid. Um, I was probably three when I first saw The Sound of Music and just mm. like that kind of, I was mesmerized by that. And then as I got older, I, you know, started exploring on my own different, um, just watching movies and kind of, I was always uh, interested in behind the scenes aspects of movies. So I was that person that would always watch the, like the bonus features on the DVDs and yep. like, soak all that up. <laughs> so that was kind of, that kind of sparked it. And then um, in college I took some film studies classes and that, um, and coupled that with my history major and like use like how those kind of overlapped a little because film history is also history of the world. Yeah. Um, and so uh, just kind of that combination really, got my like curating mind going and so um and through like some internships I did um different curatorial aspects um and then my experience I did we did media coverage of the Heartland Film Festival um when I was in college and so kind of that exposure to that world kind of um, got me interested in film festivals. How cool I did um English and theater and I felt there was a lot of crossover as well so mm -hmm. good for you with history though. <laughs> And then what are some of the highlights for you personally with this year's festival? Yeah, we have a lot of great films. It's hard for me to, <laughs> to narrow it down because they're all, they're all, they're all like, not that yeah. I made them, but they all feel like my baby because it's uh -huh. like, you know, I want to, you know, show them to everybody because um, they're so great. But, you know, all the credit goes to the filmmakers for making such amazing films. Um, yeah, we have... Um, I mean, our, for the people who are in Indianapolis, definitely check out our drive-ins. We have... Um, our opening night um, called Eat Wheaties, which stars Tony Hale. It's a, it's a comedy. Um, <laughs> Tony Hale, um, Alan Tudyk has a, like a long laundry list of comic actors that you'll recognize from a lot of different things in it. Um, he plays this kind of uh, like sad sack of a guy who um, is in charge of putting together his college reunion. And <laughs> he, he, he says that he knows Elizabeth, like went to college with Elizabeth Banks Oh, and so mm -hmm. nobody believes him. And so <laughs> it's kind of a, like that situation kind of spirals out of control. Um, so it's, it's a really funny, um, absurdist situational comedy. You should definitely yeah. check out at the, the drive-in. That's our opening night film. Um, and then our closing night film at the drive-in will be A Blythe Spirit. Um, okay. And it's from IFC Films. The trailer um, recently came out. It stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Judy Dench and Isla Fisher and Leslie Mann. And it is a new adaptation of the play by Noel Coward. And it's a supernatural, another comedy, supernatural comedy. So perfect for October Halloween uh, mm -hmm. time. Um, and so that one is basically about this, this writer in the 1930s. He has a writer's block. Uh, Judy Dench hosts the seance and his dead wife comes back, like brings back the dead wife uh, as a ghost. Wow. And she kind of causes <laughs> chaos with his new wife mm -hmm. and everything going on. So it's another little fun uh, farce, um, if you will. So that's our closing night at the drive-in. Um, and then we have some virtual special events too. Um, we're doing... Um, a screening of Minari, Minari from 1820 or A24. The trailer just dropped today. Um, that are it's very very close to selling out. So if if you're listening, I don't. Uh, but probably by the time this goes live, it might be sold out. Okay. Um, but um, we have that film. We have our closing. We have a virtual closing night um, with the documentary MLK FBI, which premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. And it's a documentary about uh, based on the newly declassified files on Martin Luther King Jr. and it talks oh. it details the FBI's surveillance and uh, harassment of him uh, 
during uh, when he was alive. So um, that's a really fascinating uh, uh, historical look at that. So that's a really, a really cool documentary. Um, we also have an, uh, at our uh, drive-in, um, at Tibbs Drive-In, and also virtually, there's a horror film called Host. We expanded to horror films this year uh, for the first time. So we have a horror section, and uh, Host is uh, the first horror film to be filmed completely on Zoom. And so it's like a haunted Whoa. Zoom call. <laughs> so that will be, you can either experience that at the drive-in, or if you're not local, um, you can experience it in our virtual festival as well. That's great. I'm going to look some of those up because I'm in Dayton, Ohio, but I grew up in Indianapolis. So I'm going to look at some of these and see if I can get tickets before, especially the one you were talking about, the A24 film. Very nice. And yeah. Julia, this is going to be a, a tough question for you, I think. But what is, <laughs> what is your favorite movie of all time? If of you had all to time? Pick, if you had yeah. to pick one. If you can do it. Or you can pick a <laughs> yeah. couple if you need to. If you're like, yeah. there's three or four, I can't decide on just one that I love. Oh man, um, <laughs> we can't we can't pick one either. So don't worry. It's a couple. Um, I guess my favorite film of all time uh, is The Apartment um, from 1960. I don't know if you've yeah. you seen it. Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's my favorite movie. Um, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, it stars um, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. I think it's the 60th anniversary of the movie this year. So if you want to oh. check it out, now's the perfect year to check it out. Yeah. Um, it takes place around Christmas and New Year's, um, so I don't, it doesn't, I wouldn't call it a Christmas movie. I feel like it's like in the diehard realm of like, <laughs> is it a Christmas movie or not? Right, um, <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, and it's uh, basically about this guy who um, works for an insurance company and he's kind of low on the ladder and in, in order to work his way up, he lends his apartment out to his supervisors for them to use for their, you know, side affairs um, and then he has a crush on um, one of the girls at work and uh, who is also involved with his boss. So it's kind of that kind of situation. But it's a really heartfelt, you know, it's a comedy, but it's also really heartfelt and also still really relevant to today. Like watching it with the whole like Me Too, com- you know, and mm-hmm. Time's Out conversation, it really resonates in that respect as well. So um, it's a real, it's, I, I really, really enjoy it. It's one I always recommend to people who don't usually watch older movies, um, mm-hmm. per se. Um, it's a good one to get, um, people, you know, into watching older movies because it does feel so ahead of its time, but also yeah. about that time as well. So that's probably my favorite. Well, I'm sold. Like you made me want to rewatch it. I did watch it because I think I think that's usually on the AFI list because I watched all the movies mm-hmm. on the list, but it does change. But I think yeah. the apartment is regularly, it's always stayed on there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Good pick. And Julia, final question for you. What's the easiest way um, to get tickets for any of these movies? Is it just to go to heartwindfilm.org? Is that the easiest place to find all the info? Yeah, um, we actually have a direct link to the festival site called heartlandfilmfestival.org. So you okay. can get your t- uh, tickets that way. They're individual tickets. There are also, you can do ticket packages if you want to see a bunch of films. And we also have fest passes if you want to experience as much as possible. So we have a bunch of different options um, depending on uh, what your viewing habits are. Nice. So Julia Ritchie, the senior programmer for the Heartland Film Festival, has been joining us here on the Silver Screen Podcast. Julia, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to chat about the Heartland Film Festival. Thank you for having me. Best of luck to you in the film festival this year. Thanks. Hope you guys can uh, get a chance to check some of it out too. Thank you. We will. And thanks again to Julia Ritchie, the senior programmer for the Heartland Film Festival, chatting with us for a few minutes about the festival, which kicks off later this week. It was interesting to talk to her for the process of how they pick movies for the festival and kind of some of the things that she's interested to see for the Heartland Film Festival this year. Yeah, she. I was intrigued by so many of the films, and I'm definitely tonight. I, we talked to her today, which is the 30th, but tonight I'm planning on purchasing some virtual tickets so that I can watch as many of the films as possible. And I feel like this is one instance, there are few, but one instance where COVID's working in our favor because I don't think I would have been able to come to Indiana mm-hmm. to see a lot of the films this year. So it's nice that I can still support the film industry and see a lot of cool films, but I can watch them in my living room. Yeah, that is really nice. So heartlandfilmfestival.org is where you can find all the info for the schedule, for the drive-ins and the virtual showings and buy your tickets there and everything is available right there. So go check that out. Again, that kicks off October 8th and we'll go through October 18th. And we're going to take a quick break here on the Silver Screen Podcast and then come back and talk about Halloween from 1978. And we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast, ready to jump into our review 
of Halloween. This is, we should note, we're doing the original Halloween from 1978, not one of the, what, 48 remakes that have been 18, done at this point? Yeah. yeah so right. we're just 349 we're doing, <laughs> remakes. We're doing the original, people, starting with the original, <laughs> released on October 27th of 1978. Rated R. No reason given by the MPAA, uh, just rated R, which makes mm-hmm. sense. There is some nudity in this movie. You know, obviously have like it's a slasher film, so there's blood and there's gore. There's not a lot of language. I can't actually no, remember I would say any it's actually language. Nudity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's probably nudity in sexual situations more than anything else. Yeah, yep. So that's why it's rated R. It's an hour and 31 minutes, and then IMDb is a 7.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 96%. Audience, 89%. So very highly regarded. Um, Of course, this movie is well known for being like an independent movie and then went on to make a lot at the box office um, and kind of started the genre of these types of movies once again to make them popular. So um, it was made for a very low budget and it's box office any is around $47 million. Um, That's before adjusting for inflation. So not sure what that would be at today, but probably obviously more than that amount. Um, And it was made for Mm -hmm. a very low budget since it was an independent film. Not a lot of the actors in the movie were well known. Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of the only one from this movie that really went on to do stuff after this. Um, And then this was like her first film role. So she's kind of the, the biggest name in this movie, but it's more of what happened later on in her career than you know what happened with Halloween. So if you don't know, the synopsis for Halloween, 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night in 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. So that's the synopsis for this one. We have a few critics reviews. First up is Jason Zinoman of the New York Times, who says in horror, The -the jack-in-the-box scare is the quickest way to get a scream, but the still shocks are the ones that linger with you. Halloween has them both, but specializes in the second. That is one of my going to be one of my positives is that it does take a while for the first person to after the first person dies at the beginning of the movie. It's a good building of tension until the second person dies later on in the film. So they don't really rely on a lot of quick, you know, jump scares or anything like that. It is more of like a, a, a tension building thing throughout the movie. Yes. So next up is Tom Mullen of Time Out, who says perhaps not, not quite so resonant as Psycho to watch, which it pays homage to, but it breathes the same air. How do you feel about that one? <laughs> I, uh, okay, <laughs> without spoiling, I think this is going to give away what I think. I... I am not the biggest fan of this movie. Okay. Um, So when I read a comparison to Psycho, which the next (laughs) one of the other quotes I picked um, is from Ebert. Yeah. (laughs) He compares it to Psycho. Rest his soul. I was insulted that it was put in the same camp as Psycho because I'm like, no, Psycho was cinematic genius. But I'm sure there's people that disagree with that statement, too. But to me, this just was not in the same league at all as Psycho. Um, But I have a lot to say about this movie. So... I think it's fine. I think saying it pays homage to it, fine. Yes. If you're saying it's like the same, no, absolutely not. And you mentioned Roger Ebert. He's the next one from the Chicago Sun-Times. who says, Halloween is an absolute merciless thriller, a movie so violent and scary that, yes, I would compare it to Psycho. So he also makes the Psycho comparison. And then finally, we have Gary Arnold of the Washington Post, who says, since there is precious little character or plot development to pass the time between stalking sequences, one tends to wish the killer would get on with it. That is a I would agree with Gary on that one. That's a little more with that's me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's big chunks of this movie where it's like we're not really developing the story much. We're not really learning more about the characters. It's like you might as well just show the exciting stuff of them dying because that's, you know what I'm here to see basically in this movie. So yeah, the exciting you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The thrilling stuff. So this was directed by John Carpenter, um, who has been a writer, director, a composer. Um, he also composed the theme song for this movie, which is very well known. If even if you haven't seen Halloween, I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. the theme song of the da, 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 da. I mean, it's that's, a synthesizer. <laughs> yes. That's very, that's his, like a lot of people know that it's him because of the synthesizer. Yes. Um, so he also wrote some other horror movies, including 1980s, the fog and 1981's escape from New York. And he wrote and directed Halloween, which is the newer one. Correct. 
Oh, no, I meant the old one. (laughs) Okay, 1978. The newer one, though, you might be right about that because Arjun had said something about that. Okay. Um, But I'm I'm not not sure. There's been so many of them that, you know, um, who who honestly knows? And Jamie Lee Curtis is obviously in the new one that came out in 2018, kind of the the reboot for the 70th time or whatever. So Yes, (laughs) and they're still making them, too, by the way. They definitely are. So uh, we'll get into oh. the cast now for this movie, starting with Donald Pleasance. Oh, thank you so much. I did want to let you know, too. I was looking um, if he directed at least according to IMDb. I don't see that he directed the newer ones. OK, so, so I don't think that's correct. That doesn't mean he that doesn't mean I'm right. And that um, yeah. doesn't mean he wasn't involved in some capacity, yeah. but it doesn't look like directing credit. OK, maybe um, he was so a producer do- or something like that or you yeah. know, consultant or who knows. So so Donald Pleasance, he actually was pretty well known when this movie started. Um, I only recognize he kind of looked familiar to me now. I know why. But Donald Pleasance, he plays Loomis. So he was the doctor in the film that was trying to hunt down Michael Myers and said, he's going to kill. He's going to kill. Um, he was born in England. He had trademark um, piercing blue eyes. That's how people knew him. He was also in Halloween, too. The Great Escape is what I knew him from. Um, and Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. His final movie was Fatal Frames, and he unfortunately did die in 1995. And then next up, we have Jamie Lee Curtis. You are absolutely right, Jared. This was the launch of her career. Um, she uh, plays Lori in the film. So she's the main, I would say, the main character for sure. Um, she, of course, is the daughter of screen legends Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. And so, Jared, here is where my beef comes up with Psycho. Janet Lee is the one that gets murdered in Psycho. So uh-huh. she was the beautiful woman that we see die. Um, so I can, I almost wonder if people thought to put this or mention Psycho with this film because you know how people like you have some kind of association. I yeah. almost wonder if that's what happened where they're like, this is like Psycho. And I just think, well, is it? Or are you just kind of like making a connection? Yeah. Um, yep. But anyway, I digress and I could be wrong. But um, of course, Janet Lee and Tony Curtis, both very famous, but Jamie Lee Curtis has had quite a career in her own right. She is best known for Halloween, True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, A Fish Called Wanda uh, with uh, Kevin Klein, who I love, and Freaky Friday. She has five upcoming projects, including two more Halloween movies called <laughs> Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. And I put in my notes clever titles, but insert I if, eye roll here. If Halloween Ends will be the last one, or if oh, they'll no. just you know what continue. it could be like Avatar, where they're like, "We're done, just kidding, let's make five more." So, yeah, hey, at least knows? I will give the Halloween movies credit. It hasn't been yeah. you know ten years in between the first one and the second one coming out. Yeah, so like Avatar, I mean Avatar two still isn't out, and who knows when it will come out. So now true. Of COVID. Hopefully, so. hopefully never. Hopefully indefinitely. <laughs> and then lastly, we have Tony Moran. Um, he plays Michael Myers at age 23. So the Michael Myers we see through most of the film. Um, I do have to say he hasn't been in a lot of popular movies that I've seen. That doesn't mean other people wouldn't recognize him, but he is an actor and a producer. He also starred in Beg, Death House, and The Ungovernable Ungovernable Force. That is a difficult word. Um, Also, this I found even more fascinating, though. He is the older brother of the actress Erin Moran. So she was in Happy Days. With Ron Howard, she played, uh, gosh, I forget her name now. I, I don't know. I haven't sister. watched that in a while. You would like, I definitely know her though. And once yeah. I saw him, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Um, I bet people are screaming, saying the name. Gosh, I wonder if it's like Chrissy. No, nope. Try and Google Okay, anyway, <laughs> he has four upcoming projects though, including one called Friday the 13th, Leah. So probably not a movie I'm going to go see, but just so you know, it's out there. But thank you for looking that up, too. No problem. She played uh, Joni on Happy Days. Joni. I knew it was something like an E at the end. E sound. Yes. yes so she's Joni. But yes, there you go. Is. That's the cast. There we go. It's not a very big cast in this one. Um, fairly small cast. Again, it's a fairly small budget movie. So it's not like there's a ton of people in this. Um, it's really just basically five people. Uh, the two people that are looking for Michael Myers, Michael Myers, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and then the other girl that's in the movie. I forget her name. Um, and All the, the two f- kids, Annie. <laughs> yeah, yep. However, one of those two kids, this is a shout out to all my Real Housewives fans, <laughs> is Kyle Richards, and she is still on Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She is one of the leads. She's been on it forever. Um, that is her as a child. So <laughs> if if you're ever like, how did she get famous? There you go. 
There you go. So we'll move into our likes and dislikes now for this movie. The first like that we both have is that it's short. I mean, that's good for a horror movie. You Mm -hmm. want it to be fairly short. These things kind of lose their steam the longer they go. I think of It Chapter 2, which we reviewed last year, and that was almost three hours long. And by the last hour of that, I was like, I don't really care anymore. Like, let's just get on with it. I know this count, this clown kills people. Um, you know, let's go ahead and just get on with the, with the, with the killing and the clown clown doings so um Jared, but yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself you're you're right the longer it goes on yeah. i think with scary like horror films you're right people get they lose interest mm-hmm. yeah yep especially if not a lot of stuff is happening or there's not a lot of tension or something like that so mm-hmm. the fact that it's short we both enjoyed that aspect of the movie so um also jamie lee curtis is really good in this it's her first big major film role um and she's great in this as kind of the person that has to avoid Michael Myers and the only one that really has any brains throughout the movie. Um, but she she plays her role well in this movie. Yes. And I think it's, I do not at all think Jamie Lee Curtis is old, but I was not alive in 78, so I hadn't seen this film. So to see her that young was just astounding to me. And she was just so cute. And I think this was a good it was a good role for her. Like, this is the kind of role I would want to get if I was like 20 years old and trying to make it in Hollywood. This is exactly the kind of movie that could be your big break. Another like is this movie did come out back in the 70s, like we mentioned. Um, and I'm sure during the time that it came out, it was very scary. So and it definitely inspired a lot of similar types of movies after it, like these slasher type movies with a lot of, you know, blood and gore and things of that nature. Some taking that to the extreme, honestly, with some horror movies that come out today. So it definitely kind of kicked the path off for those types of films. And I think it probably was very scary back in the 70s. I think you and I have seen scarier things that have come out, you know, recently. So this wasn't as scary to us, but I can think of, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Jaws. Like everybody says Jaws was very scary when it came out and it's still kind of scary today. But, you know, flashing back 40 years or so, obviously things were probably way more scarier back then just because there wasn't as much stuff that existed. So a movie like this was kind of unique back in the 70s. Well, and... I Jaws does scare me, but Jaws scares me because you could be in the middle of the ocean. You could be right yeah. just on the edge and a shark could come up and get you. You have no control over that. Yeah. I feel like a crazy man wearing a mask who killed his sister, went to an insane asylum, escaped the insane asylum, follows you around and you don't notice all day, <laughs> kills all of your friends and you don't notice until the last minute. And then you go to the house. I just feel like that seems... <laughs> Also, am, like, I getting, I know, am I getting across how I feel about this movie? I know horror movies, we have to like suspend, you know, suspension of disbelief basically for a lot of these. Sure. But like, you know, sure. if there's a guy kind of murdering people around the town, like, why would you not leave the town? Like, why would you not just, you know, drive out somewhere yeah. else or, you know, do get you away know, from that? Do, do you know what else I think doesn't help? So we were born pro, like after Stranger Danger, that whole thing. Mm-hmm, like in yep. the 80s, that was when Stranger Danger started. You and I have heard John Mulaney joke about it. <laughs> Prior to that, I, I am fully aware life was different. Like when my parents mm-hmm. were growing up, you could walk to school and you were perfectly safe to walk to school. People weren't shooting. There weren't mass shootings in the middle of the day. There, You know, it was just, I'm sure there were pedophiles and creepos, but it wasn't It wasn't, we didn't have the awareness that we have now where we tell kids, look out for this. And like, even women, you know, I listen to so many podcasts and stuff where they're like, if there's a creeper, don't think, punch him in the jugular. Like, there's just so, you know, there's so much like pro (laughs) stick up for yourself and be aware at all the time, at all times. And I just don't think that was going on then. So if I had been 19 and watched this in 1978, this would have been the most terrifying thing I'd ever seen. I watch it now. And all I think, uh, unfortunately, is I'm judgmental of the things all these people don't do and all the things they don't notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So also, uh, I do like the mask. The mask is very iconic. So creepy. You know, from the Halloween movies that you know, the mask is Michael Myers. It's still a big Halloween costume yep. to this day. Again, they're still coming out with new movies, but like it has been in popular culture f- since this movie came out. So the mask yeah, is definitely to me it's iconic. The part. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it is so creepy how you like never see his face. It um, is except for until a few the times. end. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, yep. it's just like, 
creates a really scary aspect of things. And just people walking around in masks are creepy anyway. Not like yeah. the mask you wear for COVID, but, you know, the, the full <laughs> face mask no, where you're covering your eyes. Wear those. And, yes, please yeah. wear a mask for COVID. So yeah. Michael Myers just ahead of his time. He knew COVID was going to be coming, so he wanted to be prepared. So, yeah, uh, that's about all my likes for the movie. Um, Me too. I, I do enjoy. I mean, we already said that it's short and I do appreciate the fact that it kind of kicked off the genre for these types of movies. So I think I have to give it yeah. some appreciation there for being unique and kind of different and taking some chances and things like that. I also wanted to say this is kind of a spoiler, but I did really like the closet scene with Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. I thought that was yes. kind of the the scariest part of the movie, how that was kind of tight and closed spaces and she's trying to attack him and get away from him. Um, all the other kills were a little predictable, um, but that one I did kind of think, this is still kind of scary, like, you know, in 2020. So I'm sure back in 1978, yeah. this was like terrifying. So that was the one that I thought was done the best is that kind of sequence between her and, and Michael Myers. So... Agreed. With that, we'll move on to our dislikes now. Uh, this movie is is very corny. The The acting <laughs> is very corny. The plot line is very corny. Oh. It just is, it's just kind of a very corny movie. And it's like these teenagers, their parents are out of town. They want to go to each other's houses so they can have sex with their boyfriends and girlfriends. And then a killer shows up and yeah. basically kills them all. <laughs> Also, like, I don't know, you know, you were homeschooled, but I can just tell yeah. you my experience in high school. It was not like people were like, school's over. Let's go find someone and have sex in our parents. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't what I was doing. Um, it's three you know, o'clock. Like, Let's studying. go look up. <laughs> yeah, I was like studying or doing marching band. I didn't go do drugs. I didn't go like, you know, do donuts in the parking lot <laughs> with my car. I, I shared a car with my brother, you know. So that <laughs> even that in itself. But again, I do think that's a generational difference because I mm -hmm. think in the 70s, that probably was more of what was going on. But it, it's more like this movie was not relatable to me. And this is also, I think, the problem with when something becomes such a big like cultural phenomenon or like has a cult following people talk it up where like to me, it was like Hamilton, except I'm obsessed with Hamilton. But you yeah. hear about it, hear about it, hear about it. And then imagine if you go and it just lets you down so hard. That's what happened to me with this movie. I was like, this is going to be the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I wouldn't watch it by myself. I waited till I could watch it with Arjun because I was so scared to watch it by myself. And I laughed most of the way through this film or rolled my eyes. And that's not how I want to feel when I'm watching a film. So to me, it was like not believable. I'll, I'll tell you the scene that got me like made me angry with how not believable it was. <laughs> so the guy, Bob... Spoiler alert, Bob dies. So Bob goes to the kitchen and Michael Myers stabs him with like a 12 inch serrated, some kind of knife. Knife, whatever. yeah. It's huge. However, stabs him through the torso, right? Yes. Okay. First of all, he lifts him with like one hand off the ground by his neck. That is not a thing that usually is humanly possible. <laughs> then. Not only is he like basically strangled, which I also thought, how hard could he grip him with one hand holding him off the ground? This is a grown man. Then he stabs him with a knife through the torso. You're telling me this torso, this torso was so thin, the entire knife went through, stuck to the wall behind him, the cupboard or whatever, and held his body up. <laughs> also, there was minimal to no blood. Yeah. And he died immediately. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know how much people know about murder. Stab wounds are not quick. <laughs> like it takes a while. That's on my favorite murder. <laughs> Everything. Yes. Shout out Karen and Georgia. Everything about that scene. I was like, this is crap. I was so upset about it. I'm really sorry. Oh. I'm so I'm like so riled about it. But but people are like, this is cinematic genius. And I'm like, is it? Because the whole thing to me seemed like stuff that would never happen. Yeah, it is very unbelievable in a lot of parts. So and like you said, some of the kills are just like a little outrageous. Um, that one in particular, um, you know, <laughs> or strangling. What was her name? Cindy, whoever the, the girl with the blonde hair, he strangled her with a phone cord. Did you yeah. watch him strangle her with that phone cord? Please. Yeah. Yep. That. No, that would. No, I, <laughs> I just. Know. And then the one that was I'm like, so in, sorry, the one that just, was in the car. I'm just like, just uh, open your door up and open the door, out. kick him in the face, punch him in the eyes. There are so if you hit someone's nose or their eyes, they're down. Goodbye. And 
I, I don't know. Like, okay, I, I've not been attacked that way. No one has tried to strangle me. I haven't been stabbed. God help, <laughs> help me. I hope this never happens. But I just think, so I haven't been in that kind of intense danger, but it was hard for me to just watch her not fight back and be like, oh no, and then just die. Um, yeah. I'm really sorry. I feel like I'm getting angry. I'm not trying to get angry. I was just really, really let down by this film. And it was upsetting because people made it sound like this was going to be the next Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. And it was not. Yeah, it's really it's really not. So um, we'll move through these next ones pretty quickly. But the acting was <laughs> acting was not great in this movie. I get it. It's an independent movie. You're not going to have like name brand actors from the 70s be in this because you don't have the budget. Name so brand. I'll, uh, I'll forgive that a little bit um, sure. you know, because it is lower budget. So that's understandable. Um, the the sheriff and his friend like that storyline is really dumb. Um, I just feel like it's not it's not laid out well. And I didn't really care about either of those characters the whole time. And I was kind of confused. Like I put this on and I was like doing other things while it was on. And I was kind of like, okay, so he's killing another person. Okay. The girl that, you know, went over to her boyfriend's house, she died or whatever. Um, but that Mm storyline, I don't know if it's just cause I didn't pay attention super closely in the beginning or what, but it just like every time that that popped up, I was like, I don't really care about this. I'm confused as to why this is a, you know, they're looking for him obviously, but like, not doing a very good job because he's he's kind of in plain sight a lot of these places. And and okay, so two things really bothered me. What you just said reminded me. So one, so that girl that goes with Bob, she goes to her friend's house that happens to be the sheriff's house. They walk into a house that's not theirs and immediately start macking on each other in a living room <laughs> in the dark. Uh, let me tell you what I would never do that. I would never go to like your parents' house and start making out with someone on the couch <laughs> In a house that's not mine when I'm a teenager. And then they go upstairs and they're like, let's get even dirtier. Let's do more stuff in a bed that's not ours. And they had other friends that were planning to meet them there. So what were you going to do? Just throw your clothes on or say, like, don't look when they come up the stairs. And it's not their house. And then the other thing that bothered me about the sheriff, I feel like this movie really triggered something in me. Yeah. The sheriff bothered me because it seemed like no one in this town cared about what was going on except for Loomis, the sheriff, the mm-hmm. the doctor. The yeah. doctor was yep. like, this guy's a madman. He's on the loose. He has mental health problems. He's going to kill people. And the sheriff was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. Talk to the hand. And then his daughter is one of the ones that gets killed. Another spoiler alert. Annie dies. And that bothered me about the film, too, because we never saw his reaction. We don't know what happens. Like the sheriff never finds out that his daughter died. And I thought, man, that would that would make me understand like rage to go start this manhunt to find Michael Myers. But we never see any of that happen. Yes. So from a story aspect, nothing really makes sense at all in this movie. Um, that's, <laughs> that's our big issues with it. The music is a Thank little you. annoying as well. I get that that theme is iconic, but it's that same piece but, of music that they use kind of throughout the entire movie. And while it is kind yeah. of scary at times, um, when you hear it 15 times throughout the course of the movie, you're like, yeah, okay. I'm I was going to say 40. Okay. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every couple minutes. Um, and then we've already kind of talked about this, but like, it's not very scary at all. Um, it's not really believable. Again, maybe during the seventies, we weren't alive then. If you were alive and if you know, you were alive in the seventies and you saw Halloween in the seventies or in theaters or anything like that, like feel free to let us know on our social media pages. Um, cause we'd love to hear from you and like what you thought about this movie. You know, if you were alive in the seventies and saw it and you know, how scary was it for you? We just, are both younger, so we didn't. We weren't alive then, so we didn't see it in the seventies. We saw it in twenty twenty, and by twenty twenty standards, it's just not that scary, and it's it's kind of corny. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's more mm-hmm. like humorous at times than scary, um, which is fine. But yeah, some of the ways that we've mentioned with the people dying, and you know how the kills happen, and and all that, and how nobody decided to tell anybody else that there was like this this madman on the loose. Like it wasn't you know the neighborhood watch didn't go out, or you know nothing. Nothing they didn't say it on the radio or on the television or anything. So um, that is also kind of a, a dislike in terms of like, okay, there's this mass murderer that's going around town. Why is the whole town like not on high alert that this guy could be coming to your house next? Right. Like, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, that's, <laughs> so many that's things. That's basically our thoughts on Halloween. We'll go ahead and, and wrap this up now. I guess I'll give my grade first for Halloween. Please do. I'm going to be a little lower than the critics and the audience on this one for Rotten Tomatoes. Me too. But I'm going to 65 out of 100. Um, Definitely appreciate kind of what it did for horror movies down the road. 
I think that it is, you know, some aspects of it are well made. The Michael Myers mask thing is scary um, and still iconic to this day. But in terms of like, will I watch this again? Probably not. I wasn't super interested in it while I was watching it. Like I said, I was doing other stuff and just kind of had it on in the background, but it wasn't scary enough to like keep me sitting there by the TV waiting, uh, you know, with bated breath on what happens next. So a 65 out of 100 for me. Okay, so that's actually not far off from where I was sitting, and I wondered if I was being too mean, um, but I'm giving it a 72. Okay. Also because, like, I I really respect, like, what John Carpenter did, and I also understand that, like, my opinion on Psycho and other movies, that's my opinion. So some people might be like, Psycho's the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, But I just, this movie, so much of it, like, went completely past me where I was, like, I shouldn't be laughing at a horror film. Yeah, yep. And and I wasn't scared to go to bed. Nope, um, I slept fine I actually, the night I watched this. <laughs> yeah, I watched the debate right after, and that was scarier than the movie Halloween. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, sorry, that was terrifying. Uh, the Halloween was, was that nothing on the the first presidential it debate. Was, it, so that it's so true though. Like I'm like, okay, this movie against up against 2020 <laughs> is like not a scary film. So Halloween, we're doing anyway, with COVID. All, Bring it on, Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> And I just, so much of it, I just didn't relate to it. It's not something I want to watch again. And it really didn't have, I don't think, the intended effect. But I can also appreciate and respect that this started a new genre. This was like a new thing at the time. It launched a career of Jamie Lee Curtis, and she's wonderful. But yeah, for me, it was a miss. So 72. There we go. So um, don't know if we'll be covering the next Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, which is coming out next year, right around Halloween. Um, We'll see. You know, maybe we'll... We'll revisit it then. But you can find the Silver Screen Podcast a lot of different places at Podcast Silver on Twitter and Instagram. And then just search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook and you can find our Facebook page there. Again, if you like Halloween and you saw it back in the 70s, feel free to let us know on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. We'd love to hear from you. And then wherever you're listening to the show, if you could just rate and review, that really helps us out too. Give a star rating. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, write a little review up. That's always very nice as well. We definitely appreciate those. We're continuing our Halloween-themed movies next week on the show with another classic, one that I will say I do enjoy a little bit more than Halloween, and that is Ghostbusters (laughs) from 1984 with Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, it's uh, it's a funny movie. Katie, you have not seen this, correct? I was going to say, this is one of the confessions I'm most embarrassed <laughs> about in life is that I haven't seen this movie. You have not seen Ghostbusters, but it's like really- I <laughs> I love comedy and yeah. I respect all of these people and I've never seen this movie. It's very funny um, and definitely is still a little scary at times, but also just kind of is self-aware and deals with the fact that it's kind of outrageous that these guys like hunt ghosts for a living and that's what they do. Um, So it's definitely just makes fun of itself at times. So it's good though. And we'll be talking about that coming up next week on the Silver Screen Podcast, Ghostbusters, the original from 1984. Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy. 